The Optometry Talks podcast series is brought to you by Optometry New South Wales ACT, your peak professional body. Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Optometry Talks. Your professional responsibilities as a registered optometrist and the consequences of getting it wrong. I'm Audrey Malloy, Communications and Member Liaison Manager at Optometry New South Wales ACT. We're coming to you live from the Canada Bay area in the heart of Sydney, the traditional lands of the Wongol people, whose elders past and present we acknowledge. I'm joined here by Paula Catalinic, Professional Services and Advocacy Manager and Optometrist from our team here at, at Optometry New South Wales ACT. Today we're presenting the first of two episodes in collaboration with the Optometry Council of New South Wales and we're fortunate to also be joined by President Derek Fales. Welcome Paula and Derek. Hi Hello. Derek. So look, we're going to be looking at the professional responsibilities as a registered optometrist and what happens if you get it wrong. So I thought I'd, we'd start by looking at some of the acronyms and the names of the various and very different organisations involved. Derek, can you describe to our listeners exactly what the Optometry Council of New South Wales is and what it does? Sure, Audrey. The Optometry Council of New South Wales acts to protect the public and in conjunction with the HCCC, the Healthcare Complaints Commission, investigates complaints about optometrists practising in New South Wales. If APRA or the OBA receive a notification about an optometrist in New South Wales, they pass it on to the HCCC to investigate. Okay, um, Paula, we, we get, Paula, I'll just come to you for a moment because we still get a lot of confused optometrists regarding some of these different organisations, especially when it comes to Optometry Australia and the Optometry Board of Australia. Can you talk us through that one for the benefit of our listeners? Yes, I agree, Audrey. The names are so similar that I can see why it's quite confusing. However, the two organisations are very different. Optometry Australia and its state divisions like Optometry New South Wales ACT is a member-based professional association which, which exists to support optometrists and advocate for the optometry profession. Previously, we were called the Optometrists Association of Australia, but since changing to Optometry Australia, it might have caused a little confusion. On the other hand, the Optometry Board of Australia works in partnership with the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency, which is also known as APRA, to help protect the public by regulating Australia's optometrists. Some of the OBA's functions include registering optometrists and students, developing standards, codes and guidelines for the profession, handling complaints and disciplinary actions, um, at approving accreditation standards and also overseeing the assessment of overseas trained practitioners who want to come in and practice in Australia. Okay, well, that's a thank you very much, Derek and Paula, for that great summary. And hopefully, that will be a lot clearer for people now. It, it certainly confuses the new graduates, I think, in particular. Um, so, in terms of the complaints process, we do have a whole other episode of Optometry Talks coming up shortly, in which we discuss the complaints process in detail and the strategies you, could, you can undertake to avoid a complaint against you. But for this episode, we're going to stick with the fundamental responsibilities of being an optometrist. Derek, what's the biggest responsibility optometrists have every year? Well, every year optometrists need to renew their registration to continue practicing. They can start by getting that renewal right. And can now, you tell us a little bit about what's involved in that? 
Sure. Look, APRA and the OBA make the rules for registration renewal nationally, not the Optometry Council here in New South Wales. They do give you plenty of notice when you need to renew by email or by letter. Uh, it's on you. You can't say, I didn't get a reminder. If you don't renew by November 30, you risk your registration lapping. Now, as I understand it, there's a one-month grace period where you can pay a late fee and still renew. But after that one-month period, your APRA registration will lapse. Once that happens, your name will be removed from the public register in accordance with that national law. And you will not be able to use the title of optometrist. You'll not be able to practice as an optometrist in Australia. Uh, you cannot renew your registration. You'll have to reapply. And that's what can cause the problems, isn't it? So after the one month grace period, you can't just renew. You have to register all over again. It's a much more onerous process. Yes, that one month, after that one month, there's a, a four week period for a fast track re-register. But even then, you can't practice. And your application is assessed before your registration details reappear in the public register. You may need to contact Medicare to reactivate your provider numbers, and none of us have got the, the time or the effort to keep doing that each year if we, if we mess up. Paula, have you come across this often? Oh, luckily, Audrey, we don't see many. We have assisted an optometrist who didn't re renew for years. They were accidentally renewing their Optometry Australia membership subscription only uh, each year, but not their APRA registration. If it's discovered that you are working after lapsing a registration, whether accidental or not, unfortunately can be fined a significant sum and may have to complete a period of supervised practice. Oh, so Paula, could you have a few pointers on how to avoid that scenario? Well, I think there are a few key things to remember to avoid this scenario yourself. Firstly, it's really important to keep your, up, your details up to date with APRA. Reminders are sent out via email, so make sure your email address is up to date and also make sure APRA is informed if you move and have a new address. Uh, next, I'd recommend looking out for your email renewal from APRA about eight weeks before your registration expires. So this is usually around the first week of October. And the best thing to do is diarise it. Put it in your phone calendar for October or November and repeat that annually, then you can't miss it. Oh, I love that last one. That's a, that's a great tip. Derek, the Optometry Council of New South Wales manages disciplinary action against optometrists who get it wrong. So can you tell us from your perspective, in order to renew your APRA registration, what do you need to have done? Sure, Audrey. As a registered health practitioner, when you renew your registration, you'll be asked to declare that you meet the Optometry Board's registration standards, including holding professional indemnity insurance, uh, maintaining your recency of practice, attending continual professional development. You'll also be asked if there's any change to your criminal history since your last declaration or any recent health impairments that may affect your ability to safely practice. So just on that last one, Derek, if you have an impairment, does that prevent you from practice? Having a health impairment should not necessarily prevent you from practicing, but you have to advise APRA on what you're doing to manage it and mitigate any risk to the public so that you're able to deliver safe and appropriate care. It's something you work out with them, but you do need to let them know 
so that you're not making a false declaration on your renewal application. Okay, and so Paula, what sorts of issues do you come across when it comes to registration? Well, in my role at Optometry New South Wales, um, we're, we're a state division of Optometry Australia and not a regulatory body. So our role is not to check that you've done it right, but to support you if you need help in fulfilling the criteria. And one of the things we frequently help our member optometrists with is completing their CPD requirements in particular, because that's often where they risk failing audit. So luckily, Optometry Australia has a huge amount of high quality on-demand education in the Institute of Excellence, and that's hugely helpful if you're short on CPD hours towards the end of the CPD year. Oh, okay, I know uh, November is a very busy time mm. for us with the CPD. So just before we get on to CPD in detail, I just thought we'd have a quick chat about recency of practice. So it's required to have practiced 450 hours within your scope of practice in the preceding three-year period. Paula, this sounds like a lot. How hard is it? Mm. Well, let's firstly just talk about the definition of practice. That's quite wide. In the OBA standard, practice is defined as any role, paid or not, in which an optometrist uses their skills and knowledge in the optometry profession. So it's not restricted to the provision of direct clinical care necessarily. It also includes working in other roles such as management or administration, education, research, or even advisory, regulatory or policy development roles and so on. Uh, the recency of practice requirement for 150 hours per annum or 450 hours within the preceding three years works out to be about three hours a week or one day a fortnight or if you think about another way a block of four weeks full-time or three months full-time once in the preceding three years um, but do note that if you intend to change to a new scope of practice such as changing from a non-clinical to a clinical role then you are required to consult with the Optometry Board of Australia to formulate a professional development plan and a return to practice plan before you start the new role so what, what happens if you haven't managed to get your 450 hours? Well, the key thing is do not make a false declaration by ticking the box as you re-register to say that you've done it. It won't stand up to audit when you might be asked to provide payslips and other evidence um, and it's making a false declaration. So if you're short on hours, just declare it and APRA will come back to you with a plan. And so when you say come back to you with a plan, what does that actually mean in practice? That's a good question. Depending on the length of time since you last practiced and other identified risk factors, so they take all of these things into account and the board may require you to do one, one or a combination of the following, either a period of supervised practice or to show successful completion of, of a program of study or undertake a competency assessment. Okay. Um, Derek, do you have anything further to add here? Well, look, Audrey, I think it's it's fairly obvious that planning ahead to ensure you have practiced the appropriate amount. I mean, if you're on a career break, it's only a matter uh, of working for about a month in the registration year, or as uh, as Paula said, you know, half a day a week. But just as with CPD, it's too late to think about how many hours you've clocked up on November the 29th. You need to plan ahead and and then you can easily achieve those hours if you're really working a day a fortnight. The OBA want to see that you're maintaining your skills so that you can practice appropriately. 
Yes, that's um, it's all very well trying to cram your CPD into the last few days, but you're not going to catch up on those hours, are you? So, look, I thought we'd just go now to Professional Indemnity Insurance, or PII. So, when you're registering, you're declaring that you will not practice optometry unless you have professional indemnity insurance arrangements in place that meet the standard as required by the national law. So, you do need to make sure you're covered. Paula, what are, the, what are some issues that can arise with PII not covering an optometrist? So the standard requires you to have professional indemnity insurance for all aspects of your practice, covering all locations where you practice. It must cover you also uh, when you're working either in the private, the non-government or public sectors, whether you're working part-time or full-time, or whether employed, self-employed, or in, in an unpaid or volunteer capacity, any combination of these factors. All Optometry Australia members are covered by our PIO policy, which covers all places of work, not just your main job. You can even work as a volunteer overseas, anywhere outside the US, up to 120 days a year. But optometrists can come unstuck if they only have PII associated with their main job. If your employer insures you with PIO only at the place of work and you decide to work elsewhere for a day's locum or to help out someone with even in a volunteer capacity for charity, you need to make sure that you're covered, particularly as this has major consequences in the event of a claim against you. So, Paula, what are the ramifications of this? Well, there have been issues where the practitioner delegates the renewal of insurances to a family member, for example, and for some reason their PII doesn't get renewed. In a number of cases, the practitioners have been suspended by APRA as a result of not having PII, but far worse than that, if you have a claim against you, then you're not actually insured. You could literally lose your home. Okay, so the take-home point here is to check what your PII covers and that you're insured for all your optometry work before you tick the box on the renewal form and before you do any work outside your main job. And that brings us to OPERA's Continuing Professional Development, or CPD requirement. I think most optometrists know the CPD requirements, but Paula, perhaps you could give us the short version. Sure. In a nutshell, it does depend on whether you're therapeutically endorsed or not. Therapeutically endorsed optometrists require 30 hours annually of CPD, and if you're not therapeutically endorsed, you're required to do 20 hours annually. And this includes, uh, for both therapeutically and non-therapeutically endorsed optometrists, five interactive hours, uh, up to five non-clinical hours, um, and also the requirement to have a, a learning plan, to kind of plan ahead, um, identify your gaps in your learning needs, and undertake that education, and write, re write a reflection about each of those activities that you've undertaken. Uh, there's just one other little thing, and that is, of the five interactive hours, therapeutic optometrists need to make sure that at least two of those have therapeutic content. Okay, so Paula, what could possibly go wrong here? Uh, well, one of the things that can pop up is that an optometrist unknowingly declares that they have completed their CPD requirements when in fact they haven't. One of the tricky things is that the CPD standard and requires that you renew your CPR qualification within the preceding three-year period. So if you haven't done your CPR, you shouldn't tick the box to declare that you meet your CPD requirement. Instead, you need to tick no in the field for further information. You then need to add your plan for addressing this deficiency. So 
The same would apply if you haven't quite met your CPD requirements due to a range of factors. It might include something like maternity leave or illness. You should then tick no and provide details on how you intend to address it. Okay, so that can be really confusing. Just mm. even just the acronym of the CPR and the CPD is confusing me right yes. now. So I can see why people get it wrong sometimes. Yep. Um, Derek, did you have anything to add to this? Um, I think, uh, as Paula said, you, you need to tick no if you don't meet the standard. And there's processes in place to, to sort that out with APRA. It's important that you sign the declaration in good faith and stay out of trouble. The National Board routinely audits uh, a randomly selected number of practitioners each year. I'm not sure if the percentage is maybe around 10% each year, so it's quite likely you will get an audit sooner or later. And you will need to be able to substantiate the de declarations you've made if you're audited. Don't make any false statements on the form. Not completing CPD is an issue that you can discuss and mitigate with the OBA. It's what we call a Part 7 registration matter. But not declaring that you failed to meet the standard is the problem. Making a de declaration that is false or misleading can be grounds for the boards to refuse to renew your re registration. It leads to a notification or complaint under Part 8 of the law, which means the OBA or in New South Wales, the council may need to take disciplinary action, impose conditions on your registrations, and those complaints are recorded and they follow you for the rest of your career. Okay, so there's a message coming through loud and clear here on several of these points that, you know, not to tick no if you haven't, if you have, if it's, if it's yes. And, and, and I guess in this particular um, point, if you haven't completed your CPD requirement for whatever reason or practiced your, your required number of hours, don't say you have. So we're going to leave that for a moment and just talk briefly about advertising. Um, so and some of the other responsibilities you have as a registered optometrist and i'll come to the code of conduct in a moment but i did want to just touch on the advertising guidelines and how you can contravene national law if you don't get it right so derek i know the optometry council sometimes manages complaints against practitioners due to ad advertising guideline breaches so first of all why do you think why is it that optometry advertising is regulated most advertising is dealt with by APRA as a statutory offence under the law. However, some may also result in APRA raising a notification to the OBA or to the Optometry Council. I guess optometry advertising is regulated because that advertising can influence consumers' decision-making about their healthcare needs. Uh, I don't believe the compliance with advertising guidelines is formally audited. However, APRA now asks all health professionals, including optometrists, to complete a declaration about their advertising compliance or their intention to comply when they're renewing and reminds them of their obligations when advertising their services. And Derek, what are their obligations? Do, can you take us through the key sort of advertising do's and don'ts? Uh, look, optometrists must ensure that the information they present to the public is accurate and not misleading. It uh, needs to be supported by acceptable evidence, which under the law means something quite specific. All optometry ad advertising must comply with Section 133 of the national law and, and also with the APRA and National Board guidelines for advertising. 
APRA has a great FAQ page with details of exactly what you should and shouldn't do in advertising and social media. And Derek, where does the Optometry Council of New South Wales see issues with compliance in this code? Uh, the Optometry Council may get a complaint about advertising. Uh, apart from being false, misleading or deceptive, advertising should not uh, offer a gift or inducement to use uh, a Medicare service. I think that comes under optometrist agreements with Medicare as well. And testimonials or purported testimonials about the business are just banned. Uh, you should also not create an unreasonable expectation of beneficial treatment. And um, this is where you can cross the line from an advertising offence to a disciplinary offence if you breach the code of conduct uh, as an optometrist. Right, so there's there's a lot in there. I I um I know the testimonials things has come up quite a bit with um with optometrists because it's it's pretty easy to get caught out on it. My understanding is you cannot publish any testimonials from your patients about your optometry services. Is that does that is that your understanding? Yes, under the national law, I think it's quite clear testimonials are banned. It's very clear cut, and I believe been reaffirmed by successive health ministers. So what happens then if a patient writes a review? So a patient goes on Google and does a Google review of your practice. It's different to you, something you control, like your website or your social media page, versus something that you don't have any control over. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, Audrey, this is a very difficult, uh, it's a very tricky situation and you need to take great care. There's a code of conduct and social media guidelines published by APRA and the OBA. And if you have concerns, please check those uh, guidelines with someone who knows the rules. Uh, the Optometry Australia people were very helpful to me when I had a query on this. But I think the bottom line is you need to be of what is going on in your name. If it's going out in your name and it's not appropriate, you need to take steps to fix it. Paula, do you have any further tips for our listeners on this topic? I think it's, look, I'd suggest spending some time looking at your own website and social media outputs to ensure that they are ticking the boxes um, and meeting the criteria of the advertising guidelines that you'll find on the APRA website. Um, it's also really important to make sure that your practice staff are aware of these key principles because they're often the ones controlling the Facebook page or the social media outputs. Um, and managing your advertising. Okay, so before we wrap it up, I thought we'd have a very quick chat about the Code of Conduct. So in June 2022, Opera released a shared Code of Conduct for 12 health professions, including optometry, physiotherapy, and, and many others. Derek, this Code of Conduct sets out the standards of professional behavior and conduct the national boards expect, and it's used by boards to evaluate practitioners' conduct. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, yes, you're right. The, uh, the new code was issued uh, last year, and I, I hope everyone's had a chance to read it. You should be aware of what is expected of you as an optometrist, what your professional responsibility is. Then you should be familiar with how the code divides. The code covers a whole raft of professional practice, including patient safety, putting patients first, cultural safety and respect 
for all, and that includes other practitioners. Uh, it discusses patient empowerment. It discusses good communication and how to effectively use healthcare resources wisely. It talks about professional behavior and ethical practice. And it talks about practitioner health and well-being, including workplace safety. It talks about giving back to the profession through memory, teaching and so on, as well as recognizing the importance of and staying on top of evidence-based research in your practice. A patient-centered approach, optometrists need to be able to effectively explain the evidence base for treatments as well as tailoring treatment options for individual patients. Okay, so there's a lot in that too. And um, optometrists can easily find the whole shared code of conduct on the OPERA website. Just Google OPERA shared code of conduct and it comes up straight away. Um, you touched on there, um, Paula, I just thought you might expand a little on what Derek was talking about there around the area of cultural safety and how optometrists can upskill in this area. Yes, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have unique needs, especially in terms of communication. And the Code of Conduct underscores that upskilling in cultural safety should be a priority of optometrists. The Code of Conduct specifically refers to this in the second principle, uh, stating that practitioners should consider the specific needs of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and their health and cultural safety, including the need to foster open, honest and culturally safe professional re relationships. To help with this, Optometry Australia has partnered with Indigenous Allied Health Australia to create a foundation program for cultural responsiveness, which you can access as an Optometry Australia member. They've also developed a cultural responsiveness framework for optometrists and a practice toolkit and self-reflection checklist, which can be found on the website as well. Wonderful. Okay, so um, the last thing we're going to discuss today is the range of complaints that come through to the Optometry Council. As, we've, as we have a whole episode coming up on the complaints process and how to avoid a complaint against you, I thought we'd just focus on the nature of the complaints. So Derek, what do most people complain about when it comes to optometric care? Uh, well, Audrey, we, we uh, try and keep a look at the source of complaints and the basis of complaints. And clinical care accounts for 50% or 56%, I think, over half of all complaints. Most frequently, this is regarding inadequate or inappropriate treatment. The second most common complaint is regarding missed, incorrect, or delayed diagnosis. These two categories account for over 70% of complaints. After that, there's quite a mixed bag of complaints about billing, informed consent, uh, communication, and breaching the law. But I think we've observed that throughout the whole of those complaints, communications is one of the key issues where uh, when the communication breaks down, the misunderstandings on uh, how patients should be looked after and cared for and the, the work of the optometrist and the patient together to look after their health is compromised. Yes, that's so true. And what are the typical outcomes of these complaints? What, what actually happens to these optometrists? Well, the New South Wales Optometry Council has a number of options uh, when dealing with these complaints. Some uh, complaints are closed or withdrawn uh, quite early. Some require interview with the optometrists. And some optometrists re require counselling about their behaviour and their obligations. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes optometrists also need to 
have a period of supervised practice or uh, additional CPD courses to study. And uh, the optometrist council tries to work with both the optometrist and, and the complainant to get a satisfactory outcome. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, before we go, any take-home points for optometrists listening to Optometry Talks? Derek, what would you advise our listeners? Look, Audrey, it's not rocket science, and we're all of us in the same boat. Number one, get your registration right. Plan your CPD. Ensure your recency of practice is done in a timely way. Number two, keep the patient at the centre of your practice. And number three, if a patient approaches you with concerns about treatment, billing, communications, or any other misunderstanding, please take the time to discuss it with them and work through to resolve any issue. That's a lot better use of time than having to go through a complaint process with APRA or the HCCC. I think that's great advice. Paula, do you have anything to add to that? Look, I think Derek has summed it up really well. Good communication and keeping the patient front and centre goes a long way to nipping disputes in the bud before they escalate to a complaint. If you have any need of support around your professional responsibilities, don't hesitate to contact us at Optometry New South Wales ACT or Optometry Australia. Great. Well, thank you, um, Paula and Derek, for joining us today for episode 16 of Optometry Talks. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. Um, and for our listeners, we'll be back shortly with episode 17, How to Be a Better Practitioner and Avoid Complaints Against You, which will also be in collaboration with the Optometry Council of New South Wales. If you're a recent graduate, you may also like to check out episode six, What I Wish I'd Known Before I Started Practice, which deals with the kinds of things that commonly crop up during those early months of practice. These podcast episodes and resources are all available on the Optometry Australia website, that's www.optometry.org.au, on the page called Publications and Podcasts. Just look for the New South Wales tile and it's all there. Thanks for joining us today. This episode of Optometry Talks was brought to you compliments of Optometry New South Wales ACT. 